0: San Franciscans are not happy with driverless robo-taxis as they crash and cause bad traffic jams. Startups are also benefiting from Inflation Reduction Act funding, and I chat with the CEO who just announced his company plans to IPO. I'm Jackson Fordyce, and this is Venture Daily. Two weeks ago, San Francisco became the first city in America to allow driverless taxis on the road without restriction. But many San Franciscans are unhappy with the robo-taxis that have been causing major traffic jams, crashing into other vehicles, including a fire truck, and even hitting and killing a small dog. Three days ago, the same California regulator probed Cruz, the robo-taxi company owned by General Motors, for its recent crashes. The probe resulted in the California DMV ordering Cruz to slash half of its active fleet of cars. Waymo and Cruise, the only two driverless car companies given unrestricted road privileges two weeks ago, are now going up against San Francisco labor unions, the city's public transit system, and attorney David Chu, who wants to overturn the city's decision. As Waymo and Cruise announced expansion plans to other American cities like Austin, Phoenix, and Raleigh, questions about whether robo-taxis are safe or worthwhile swirl. For insight into the driverless car industry, I spoke with Will Coleman.
1: Hey, I'm Will Coleman, co-founder and CEO of Alto.
0: Alto is a premium ride-sharing company with car fleets in Dallas, Houston, LA, Miami, and DC. While San Franciscans currently have a low opinion of driverless taxis, as the number of traffic jams and crashes continue to grow, public outcry does too. Could the driverless car industry be set back months or even years if they can't get a hold of their current PR problems?
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, driverless cars are clearly... In the future they're coming um the timelines are something that i would say are very uncertain um i'm i'm personally probably on the more skeptical end i think that um you know, full autonomy in terms of serving a, a broad majority of our vehicle use cases and needs across the country is probably still multiple years if not a decade away uh, we're going to find ways in which we can blend autonomous and human driving and the different use cases um, between now and then. And so I think what you're going to see is continuous improvements. Um, you're already seeing a lot of advancements even just this year, but the, uh, the real challenge is going to be solving for all of, all of the needs, right? This is a problem that has a, a really hard, uh, set of edge cases. Transportation is, is really just an automation of edge cases. Uh, getting stuck behind a cement truck, or a road that's closed, or new wet cement that's been put down, or lanes that have changed. And so all of that is, are things that you know, humans deal with every single day, and, and training uh, autonomous vehicles and the artificial intelligence that drives them to handle every single one of those use cases and edge cases is really the difficult
0: thing. Cruise cars have been involved in several crashes recently, including one with a fire truck sending one passenger to the hospital. Are taxis safe enough to be on the roads yet?
1: The reality is, is that human drivers are actually pretty unsafe. Driving is inherently an unsafe activity. If you don't smoke cigarettes, it's definitely the most unsafe thing you do every single day. And so, um, you know, like there's gonna be there's gonna be accidents, crashes. Um, if there's human drivers, if there's autonomous drivers, so I think we need to keep a very close eye on it. But I, I do think the safety records are are, are you know obviously not unflappable, but, but are generally pretty good.
0: GM's cruise was ordered by the California DMV to slash half of its active fleet. Are strict constraints from the California government going to push companies like Waymo and Cruise out of the state and toward other American cities with more lenient laws?
1: You're seeing a lot of expansion uh, across the industry into other states and, and cities. It's a, it's a problem that has to be solved because the reality is that you know, you, each city has its own unique uh, forms of, of, of transportation, of logistics, of roadways, of infrastructure. Um, and and so weather, uh, heat, rain,
2: fog, snow, uh, that all impact autonomous and electric vehicles in different ways. So
1: I think you're going to see a lot of expansion and extended testing um, generally. And frankly, I would say that, that the state of California has been pretty um welcoming to to that innovation, at least in the city of San Francisco uh, so far. I mean, if if you go there, you you definitely see more
0: autonomous vehicles on the road in that city than than really any other in the U.S. As news spreads about issues with robo-taxis in San Francisco, do you expect other cities will begin outlining stricter laws for driverless cars anticipating their arrival? Yeah, I I mean, we can be sure that that's happening um, here
1: in in Texas where you and I are. uh, There's an entire Commission and, and a big uh, group of, of you know, thought leaders from industry um, and the government that, that is continuously working on uh, regulations uh, to balance the needs of, of innovation with the needs of safety and, and, um, and the environment and, and the rest of uh, drivers on the road. So I, I think that's probably happening in every state across the country, maybe even in many municipalities. Um, and, and, and be to, to find that right balance to create war- worlds where we can continue
0: to build innovation while um, you know, ensuring public safety. That was Will Coleman, co-founder and CEO of Alto. Thanks so much for joining the show, Will. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. Man.
0: It's been a year since President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, and startups are beginning to reap the benefits as investor funding ramps up. A Bank of America global research report reveals that the biggest winners so far have been private companies that lead clean energy projects across a wide range of sectors. Sectors include electric vehicles, batteries, renewable energy, clean fuels, and more. In an interview with TechCrunch's Rebecca Bellin, Puneet Maruva, a partner at Trucks Venture Capital, explained that startups can utilize the bill as a tool and partner with private companies to sell to customers. He said, quote, if you're selling a product related to charging, then you can go to these infrastructure developers and say, hey. There's all this IRA funding for you to roll out chargers. Let us help you with that. To learn more about the IRA's impact on climate tech funding, I spoke with Travis Connors.
3: I'm Travis Connors. I'm a co-founder and managing partner
0: at Building Ventures. Building Ventures invest in companies that focus on the way we design, operate, and experience the built environment. Travis, last night at the Republican presidential debates, none of the candidates raised their hands when asked if they believed human behavior is causing climate change. Candidate Vivek Ramaswamy stated, and so the reality is... More people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate change. Is there any truth to the statement? What policies is he referring to?
3: Uh, no, I, I don't think there's any truth to the statement. And I think that um, it continues to just be an attempt at misdirecting uh, the probably the most important and existential problem that we have to wrestle with, which is how do we successfully adapt uh, to climate change?
0: The Inflation Reduction Act plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by up to 40% by 2030. That's not that long from now. Do you think we'll see significant progress in reducing emissions within the next six and a half years?
3: I am deeply hopeful that we have the potential of doing that if um, you know, the government continues to create incentive programs like the IRA that will help reduce some of the green premium that some of these technologies and necessary investments have today. But... You know, we are deep believers in building ventures that, particularly through the decarbonization of our built environment, we have a tremendous opportunity to make a dent.
0: Many climate tech-focused startups have received funding from VCs because of the IRA. In an interview with TechCrunch, investor Puneet Maruva said he's seen a 10% increase in the number of climate-related startups since the IRA was signed. Which sub-industries within climate tech do you think will benefit the most in the coming years because of the IRA? I
3: think the IRA has, has the opportunity to help um produce short-term and long-term gains so if we think about the long-term gains you look at things like direct air capture and alternative uh generation of renewable energy and things like you know fusion and fission that we we give a big boost to trying to reduce what are continue to be research projects that need to be invested in to be able to bring those in sometime after 2035 when they can begin to make an impact on a a more granular level and an area that we pay a lot of attention to is the opportunity to you know, invest in and retrofitting our buildings. A key part of our thesis is that the buildings in which humans spend 90% of their time are the things that are killing our planet. We call it the 40% problem at our firm, which is that our built environment consumes 40% of all the energy that's produced. It's responsible for 40% of all the greenhouse gases that are emitted. It consumes 40% of all raw materials, and it's about 40% of our landfill waste comes from the construction of the real estate industries. And so we see really low hanging fruit and opportunities to reform the way that we design, build and operate space to dramatically reduce that impact. And we can see where that can have an immediate effect versus taking something like moving our entire transportation infrastructure over to electric vehicles, which long term is the right thing to do, but will take longer to to have an impact.
0: Travis, given how enormous the challenge of climate change is, where is the best place for us to be making these investments today?
3: The best place is in our buildings, um, while there's an enormous amount of infrastructure, two and a half trillion square feet around the world that needs to be retrofitted to become more resilient and more sustainable, we also have the challenge of needing to build an enormous amount of infrastructure over the next thirty years. We're going to double the infrastructure on the planet. That's literally the equivalent of building a New York City every six weeks for the next thirty years. And if you think about the challenge of, you know, HVAC that has to go into that, and energy that needs to power that, and um, all the people that need to be housed. This, this is a spot where I think we're beginning to see a lot of climate investor dollars be pointed. And we're really excited about that because we think it can be
0: so impactful. That was Travis Connors, co-founder and managing partner at Building Ventures. Thanks for joining the show, Travis.
3: Absolutely. Happy to.
0: Over the last several weeks, we at Venture Daily have reported on the fluctuating heating and cooling of the IPO market and Oddity's success earlier this year indicated a more welcoming market, but many companies are still reluctant. The recent stock market downturn has made listing publicly less enticing. But then this week, arms filing for what could be one of the biggest IPOs in recent memory could again signal a market ready for an influx of IPOs. We can speculate about the considerations companies are making internally, but today, we're going straight to the source. I spoke with a founder who actually has stake in the game as his company just announced plans to go public within the next 18 to 24 months. Our conversation covered the trajectory of his company, how his team is navigating expectations for public markets, and what he plans to do over the next 24 months. Here's a few questions from my discussion with CEO Ayel Lifshitz. I'm Ayel Lifshitz. I'm the
2: founder and CEO of Bluevine.
0: Bluevine offers checking and lending products to small businesses. Ayel, Bluevine just recently announced plans to file for an IPO at 18 to 24 months. Why 18 to 24 months from now and not sooner?
2: You know, when we um, had the conversation with uh, with Axios, um, we are, we, you know, we signaled our intent and um, ultimately we do want to become a public company within the, the time frame, you know, we would be in a position to consider going out. It's not that we have plans, concrete plans to go out and start, you know, putting together an S1 tomorrow morning. More broadly though, we do want to become ultimately a public company. It's important not just for our investors and our employees, but also to our small business customers in terms of just, you know, providing more transparency. It adds credibility to us as uh, someone who looks to become the um, largest banking platform for small businesses in America. So it is something that is important to us. We don't have tangible plans to route yet, but our scale today will, will generate roughly $200 million in revenue this year. Um, we're growing quite fast. We grew from last year 80%. And so if you look out, call it 24 months, we'll be at the scale and maturity where this is going to be certainly something that is top of mind for us.
0: With recent IPO successes like Kava and Oddity, why are we seeing more companies publicly listing right now?
2: You know, the question is more broadly on the market. The market, um, the IPO market was very hot in 2020, 2021. It's, It's now slowly starting to thaw out again after somewhat of a pause. I think you're going to see... Um, some companies that have been holding off going public for a very long time you know i think arm is 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 about to go out and so um there are some others that are that are planning my, my expectation is first you'll see ones who have been you know really kind of having um, tangible plans to go out for a very long time and then you'll see more of a trickle in in and afterwards it is always a question for companies that want to become public companies are the markets good? And then the second question, are we ready? Um, The the first question, the answer to that was no. For the most of 222 and beginning of 223, now that answer is starting to change. But then companies are looking at themselves and saying, are we ready? And some companies are because they've been been ready for a while, but then it's going to take others time to get ready.
0: Did the news around other companies like Arm, Databricks, Skims, and Liquid Death looking toward IPO Influence your decision in announcing BlueVine's future IPO plans?
2: No, I think the decision for us when, um, you know, it is time for us to really start preparing is going to be more of, of um, you know, an individual case of are we are we ready? Again, we look to see if the, it is a good time in the public markets. But for us, it's more of a question, are we at the scale? Are we executing the way that we expect to execute? Is our financials and especially looking forward do we have confidence in their predictability such that we'll be able to tell a good story to public company um, investors? And so there's, it's more, I would say, internal, that decision outside of whether the market is good versus comparing ourselves to any other company.
0: That was I.L. Lipschitz, founder and CEO of Bluevine. Thanks so much, I.L. I appreciate your time.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Venture Daily. Today's show is produced by Josiah Simons and Jackson Fordyce. Our theme song was created by Benjamin Cook. If you liked today's episode, please give us an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see y'all next week.